All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses. We are beginning a brand new series today. It's called Didn't See It Coming. Have you ever had a life-defining moment and you never saw it coming? Maybe for you it was an accident of some sort or a death in your family. Maybe it was a breakup that you went through. That one moment your life was going along one way, and then the very next moment, all of a sudden, everything had changed. There was a man in the Old Testament named Joseph who was blindsided like that on multiple occasions. His life would be going along just fine, and then tragedy would hit, and he never saw it coming. Today's message is titled, How to Respond to Betrayal. Whether it's you or someone that you love who's been betrayed, that hurts. And it hurts even more the closer you were to that person. This past summer, our family went to a family camp up north, and one of the things that I love to do at this family camp is play paintball. I just geek out for this. Now, if you've never played paintball before, the way it works out is you get split up into two different teams. They give you a protective mask and a paintball gun, and the goal is to try to paint, which is PC for shoot, everyone on the other team until they're all out of the game and your team wins. But there are some rules For example, if somebody's hiding behind a bunker or a tree, you can't just go up and blast them at close range. Instead, you have to run up without them seeing you, touch their bunker, yell out bunker, and then that gets them out of the game. So in the last game we were playing, I was in the middle of the field. I was out of paintballs, which is a bad place to be. Total lame duck, nothing I could do. But I knew that there was a guy on the other team about 20 yards ahead of me hiding behind a bunker. And so I just went for it. Kamikaze mode, went running as fast as I could across. I'm 41 years old, so I don't know if I was going that fast. But I felt like I was going super fast. And I got up to the bunker. I put my hand on it. I yelled out, bunker, and he was out of the game. And just as I did that, his teammate, who I didn't see, came out from around a tree and blasted me at close range. Our campus pastor at Lionel Lakes, Andrew Herman, took a picture of my arm. This was two weeks later. And I should have rolled up my sleeve because it was black all the way from here up to my shoulder blade. My wife saw this and she was like, why? Why would you put yourself through that? I said, it was awesome. I bunkered this guy. We won the game. She said, won what? You didn't get anything for that. And she's right. I I didn't get a medal or a trophy or a juice box. I mean, they just, they didn't give me anything for winning that thing. But here's the thing about paintball. When you get hit from a far distance, it doesn't hurt that bad. It, It sort of feels like a mosquito bite. But if you get hit at close range, now that hurts a lot more. The same is true in our relationships. If you get betrayed by someone that you weren't that close to, an acquaintance maybe, that might keep you up for a night. You might lose a little bit of sleep, but it's not going to make a big difference in your life. But if you get betrayed by someone you were close to, if you get betrayed by someone who you loved, Well, that hurts a lot more. Some of us know what that's like. You had a business partner who broke away to start a rival company. And when they broke away, it was not a good split. And you find yourself competing with one another, and that hurts. 
Some of us had somebody speak lies about us. They said things about us to our friends that were not true. That hurts. Some of us had a parent who left our family when we were 10 years old. And sometimes we wonder how our life would have been different had they stayed. I was talking to a friend a while back who told me about the time he found out his wife was leaving him. Said he came home from work and her things had been packed up and she had moved out with another man. Left him and the kids. He said, I felt like I couldn't breathe. She had stood before their family and their friends and said, till death do us part. But then she parted and it felt like a death to him. That's betrayal. They promised, they said they would, they said they never would, but then they did and you never saw it coming. That brings us to Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was one of 12 brothers And he was his father's favorite. His father made this abundantly clear when he gave Joseph this beautiful robe and he didn't give his brothers anything. This would be like on Christmas if you were opening up gifts and you opened up a gift from your parents and they got you some new work gloves. Your mom's like, I just thought, you know, when you're outside working, keep your fingers warm. And you're like, oh, okay, great. That's nice. And and then all of a sudden it's time for your brother's gift. And they're like, everybody out to the driveway. And there's a new pickup truck or a new Lexus. And you're going, wait a minute. This doesn't seem right. Favoritism breeds resentment. If you're a parent with multiple kids, if you're a grandparent with multiple grandchildren, and they can sense that you have one that you favor, that's not a good thing. It's not good for you or the kid that you supposedly favor. Because the other kids will start to compare themselves. They'll start to feel unloved. And that's how Joseph's brothers felt. Look at what it says in verse 5. It says this. One night Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers. Which you don't always have to share every dream you have. He, He told his brothers right away. And it says this. Causing them to hate him even more. What was this dream about? Well, in the dream, Joseph was out in the field working with his brothers, and they were harvesting bundles of grain, and at one point, his brother's bundles of grain bowed down to his bundle of grain. In other words, Joseph is saying, hey, you guys are going to bow down to me one day. And he told his brothers this, and they're like, we hate you even more. We hate the robe. We hate that dad likes you more than us. We hate that you think we're going to bow down to you someday. We hate all of it. So one day, Joseph's brothers are out working in the field, and Jacob, their father, sends Joseph out to find them. And when they see Joseph coming from a distance, they devise a plan. They say, let's just kill Joseph. We'll, We'll throw him in a pit, and then we'll tell dad that some wild animal ate him. And so they do. They rip off the robe. They throw him into a pit. But before they can kill him, they see this caravan of merchants coming along the way towards Egypt. And that's when Judah, the oldest brother, speaks up and he says this. What can we gain by killing our brother? Can you imagine, Joseph, you've just been beaten. You're down in the pit and you're listening to this conversation. You're like, find time to ask that question. What can we gain by killing our brother? That would just give us a guilty conscience. Let us sell Joseph to those Ishmaelite traders. I get a kick out of this. Guys, let's not kill him. 
feel like we're going to have a guilty, we're going to feel bad about that. Okay, we're going to have a guilty conscience. That's going to keep us up at night. Let's sell them into slavery. Clear conscience on that one. And so they do. They sell him into slavery where he is taken to Egypt. He's sold to a man named Potiphar. And then Joseph's brothers kill a goat. They sprinkle the blood on his robe. They bring it back to their dad and go, guess something happened to Joseph. And that's where we'll pick the story up next week. But Joseph was betrayed by his very own brothers, by his very own family members. That hurts. You ever had something like that happen before? Somebody that you were close to who promised something and then didn't keep that promise. They spoke about you badly behind your back. Their plans were made, but you weren't even invited in the room. Somebody tried to hurt you intentionally. You found a text message on your spouse's phone. You will never forget that moment. But you do not have to live in the pain of that moment. You do not have to let that moment define your life. You can overcome betrayal. Let me give you two ways. Here's the first one. It's this. Trust that God will somehow work this for good. Let's jump ahead in the Joseph story for just a moment. Joseph goes on to become a leading official in Egypt. And he devises a plan where they're able to save enough food that will get them through a famine. Saves many people's lives. Joseph's brothers are in Israel. They're starving. Then they hear there's food available in Egypt. And so 22 years after they sold their brother into slavery, they go to Egypt. And they find themselves standing in front of Joseph. They bow down to him, fulfilling Joseph's dream. Joseph could have killed them. He could have said, I'm not giving you food. You, you sold me into slavery. But instead, Joseph looks at them and he says these words. You intended to harm me. And maybe you had somebody in your life who intended to harm you. But God intended it for good. God didn't cause the harm. God didn't cause the evil to happen. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, he says, the saving of many lives. In his book, David and Goliath, author Malcolm Gladwell talks about what he calls desirable difficulties. These are life events that seem difficult at the time, but ultimately they have proven to be more of an opportunity than an obstacle. For instance, did you know that two-thirds of all British prime ministers and one-third of all U.S. presidents lost a parent when they were a child? One-third of all successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic. Now, you can say, well, that's just a coincidence, but I don't think that it is. People who have to overcome adversity, they have to work harder. They have to learn more. And in that way, their adversity becomes an advantage. Let me ask you, how could your adversity become an advantage? How could you use your struggles as a springboard to your success? Gladwell says the unbelievable number of people who have overcome disabilities and difficulties did so not in spite of their circumstances, but rather because of their circumstances. Romans 8:28, a verse that we looked at last week, says, "And we know 
not we hope, not we think, not we wish, we know that in all things, not some things, most things, a lot of things, in all things, God works for the good of who? He works for the good of those who love him. Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, this is a conditional promise that God will work everything in your life for good. Look at this picture with me. I'm told that this driver was going about 70 miles per hour when he spun out, flipped over this guardrail, and this is where his truck landed. Now, if you were the driver of that vehicle, you could say, well, I don't think God's using this for my good. I I don't think that God protected me in any way. I mean, look, I got into an accident. But I want to show you a picture of that very same accident from a different perspective. When you're able to see the bigger picture, your perspective changes. I was listening to a podcast by Susie Larson, who is a local radio program, and she was talking about her pregnancy with her second son. And when she was pregnant, she didn't realize this, but she was bitten by a deer tick and contracted Lyme's disease, but nobody could figure out what the problem was. It wasn't diagnosed for about a year later. So she was experiencing numbness in her face, blurred vision, and she's pregnant with her second son. She said that when her son was born, four weeks later, he got an upper respiratory infection. And she says on the podcast, I can remember standing by his crib and praying, God, I cannot take him to the ER. I cannot handle one more thing. Something's wrong with me. I don't know what it is. I've got insomnia. I'm sleepless. I'm full of fear. I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle anything more. Please heal my son so I don't have to take him to the ER. The next night, she had to take her son to the ER. And she said, as I stood by his bed in that hospital room, I remember thinking, God, have you forgotten my address? Have you forgotten about me? And maybe you feel that way today as well. If there's something going on in your life and you're going, God, do do you see? Do, Do you see how that person's treating me? Do do you see what they're doing to me? Do do you see what's happening? Or or have you forgotten about me? Fast forward a year later, Susie had been diagnosed with Lyme's disease, and so she had a nurse at her house that was giving her some IV treatments when all of a sudden her one-year-old toddler comes, you know, bounding into the room. And the nurse looks at him and she goes, how is he alive? She said, I treated two other women who got Lyme's disease while they were pregnant, and in both cases, their son became blind and died. She said, did he ever have to go to the hospital after he was born? And Susie said, well, yeah, come to think of it, he had an upper respiratory infection when he was four weeks old. And the nurse said, well, what medications did they give him? And when Susie told the nurse, the nurse looked at her and said, that saved his life. When you're allowed to see the bigger picture, It changes your perspective. You might be wondering today, why? Why, God? Why why did that person hurt me? Why did that person betray me? Why are you allowing me to go through this? And you may never know the answer to those questions. You may never be allowed to peek behind the curtain and see what God is doing in your life. But you don't need that anyway. Knowing why is not going to take away your anxiety or heal your hurt. 
What you need is the peace that only God can offer to you. What you need is to be able to walk out of church today and go, you know what, my circumstances haven't changed. I still feel so hurt. I still feel so betrayed. But for some reason, I have a peace that only comes from God. And it's because I know I know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. That is my prayer for you today. Earlier in Romans chapter 8, the same chapter that we were reading from earlier, it says this, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will give us later. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, Right up to the present time. He says all creation is groaning. What he means is the entire world, the entire universe is under the curse of sin. It's not just our lives that are under the curse of sin, but our whole world is. We have hunger and earthquakes and famines and hurricanes and suffering. And so the whole earth is just waiting for the day when Jesus will return and set us free from the curse of sin, death, and decay. But notice the metaphor that he uses here. He uses childbirth. As painful as childbirth is, what comes next? Will you get a child? And the glory of that child far outweighs the pain of birth. In fact, if you were to look at a, a new mother and she was holding her newborn for the first time, you would not look at that picture and go, oh, childbirth is painful. You would look at that picture and you would go, how glorious is that child? But it's hard to see that when you're in the pain. When you're in the pain, you don't see the glory. In fact, if your wife is pregnant, if you are about to have a child within the next year, I want you just to do a little experiment with me. At the height of her labor pain, at the zenith of her discomfort and labor pain, I want you to quote to her Romans 8.18. <laughs> and I just want you to say, honey, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will give us later. <laughs> and then you better duck, because she's going to chuck an ice cube at your head. Because when you're in the pain... You don't want to hear about the glory. And maybe you find yourself in the pain right now. You've been hurt so badly. You feel so betrayed. You are in so much pain. And I've felt that way before. And so I know what I'm about to say is not going to take away your pain, but I hope you will cling to this promise with me. That what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. The glory you may experience here on earth when you see God working all things for your good. You may experience that glory one day in heaven when you see him face to face. But this is a promise that what we are suffering now is like the pains of childbirth. And it's leading up to the glory of a child. Would you declare with me today, I will trust that God will work all things for the good of those who love him. And that my present suffering is nothing compared to the glory I will receive later. Here's the second way that you can overcome betrayal, and it's this. Don't allow bitterness to take root. 
Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. It's interesting that he refers to bitterness as a root. Because where do roots grow? Well, they grow underground. They grow under the surface. In other words, you could be looking at someone's life and you could think, oh, they're so happy. They've got such a great life. But under the surface, there's a bitter root that's growing. Some of us have had a bitter root growing like that for years. I was cleaning out my closet last year and I realized that I've become attached to certain t-shirts and jerseys that I know I should throw out. I know I should get rid of them, but for some reason, I hang on to them. Let me show you a few of these that I've kept over the years. This is a t-shirt that I won when I was at Bethel University. We won the intramural basketball championship. And it says on here that I'm a recreational sports champion. <laughs> which means it didn't count and it doesn't matter. I like to remind myself of that. Don't matter, didn't count. So some reason I hang on to that one. This one for me is kind of a classic. This is from the Twin Spring training when they used to train at Tinker Field in Orlando. I went there as a kid, and so this is kind of a classic t-shirt that I hang on to. I've also got some signed jerseys. I have a signed Ricky Rubio jersey. It's double extra large. So I could never really wear this thing out in public, but for some reason I hang on to it. People have said to me, why don't you just sell it? Make me an offer. Maybe I will sell that one. I don't know. I have another signed jersey that's also worth uh, quite a bit of money, I would believe. This is my ninth grade basketball jersey. That's right. I signed my own jersey. But I didn't sign it Jason Strand. I signed it Strand Diesel, which was my rapper name in high school. I'm actually serious about that. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. All right. This next one. This next one is some t-shirts that I got as gifts from people. So this one is from the Strand Bookstore in New York. My last name's Strand, and so they got me that one. This one here, somebody spray-painted a picture of my son when he was a baby onto a t-shirt. That's creepy. Kind of looks like Chucky a little bit, and so I wear this one on Halloween. You know, you open up the door real quick and kind of get in the kid's face with that one, and more candy for me. So that's kind of how I use that one. And then this last one I really actually like. This is, I got this from someone at Eagle Brook. It's a Waffle House t-shirt, and you know I love me some Waffle House. Now here's the thing about these t-shirts. I know I should get rid of them. I know I shouldn't have them stuffed away in some dark crevice of my closet. I don't wear them anymore. But for some reason, I've become attached to them. Same thing can happen with emotions. There are people who have bitterness and resentment, and it's tucked away in some dark crevice of their heart. And they know they should get rid of it. They know they should throw it out. But for some reason, they don't. They've become attached to it. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. In other words, take inventory of your heart. And if you find yourself 
having a root of bitterness towards another person, if you have anger or rage towards someone, you need to get rid of that. You need to throw that out. I've had to do that before in my life. I remember an acquaintance years ago who said something about me that I didn't think was true. And even though I never saw that person for years, anytime I would even hear their name, I would think, I just don't like them. And there was this root of bitterness that was beginning to grow. And I became attached to it. I never felt like forgiving. I never felt like letting it go or throwing it out. But one day I realized I needed to be intentional and I needed to forgive this person. I needed to say, God, would you take that bitter root out of my heart and would you allow me to genuinely forgive that person so that I can live in freedom? Jesus had to do that. Jesus was betrayed. Look at what it says in Luke 22. It says, Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. You say, God, why are you allowing me to be betrayed this way? Well, God allowed his own son to be betrayed. And not by an acquaintance. Not by one of the Pharisees or religious rulers who was always critical of Jesus. No, Judas was one of the twelve. We know Judas today is the one who betrayed Jesus, but then he was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of Jesus' closest followers and friends, and he betrayed him. When Jesus was on the cross, looking out over at this crowd of people who had put him there, who had all betrayed him, he said these words out loud. He said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. Last year, a woman named Amber Geiger, a police officer in the Dallas Police Department, pulled into her apartment complex and parked on the fourth level of the parking ramp. She thought she was on the third level of the parking ramp, but she was mistaken. And so she walked to what she believed was her apartment, but really her apartment was one level below. As she approached the door, it was slightly open. And as she walked in, there was a man named Botham John who was sitting on the couch watching TV. And in only what can be described as the most tragic of mistakes, of the most tragic lapses in judgment, Amber pulled out her revolver thinking he was a burglar and shot him dead. Now, when this story happened, it was politically charged for all the reasons you could expect. And I'm just going to ask you not to go there for this moment. There are many people who are much more qualified to speak about that than I am. But when it happened, I remember thinking, what would it be like to be Botham John's father or his brother? And no matter how many years of prison this woman gets, it doesn't bring your son back to life. When the news story dies down, when the debates are done, you have to go to Christmas without your son. You have to celebrate a birthday and he's not there. And you think about how painful that would be. And you think about the bitterness and the rage and the anger that you would feel towards this person. 
who had taken away your son and your brother. At the hearing, Botham John's brother asked the judge if he could speak directly to the defendant. And I want you to see what he had to say. I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the, thing, the bad things you may have done in the past, each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know, I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. That young man is remarkable. So rare in our world today to see someone with that kind of character and the ability to forgive in a way that is almost not humanly possible. But in that moment, he could have lived with bitterness and rage and anger for the rest of his life. But instead, he chose to offer the same forgiveness that he had received from Jesus Christ to another person. And he took the one path that he could have taken to freedom in his own heart. Every one of us has betrayed God. Every one of us has done something that God asks us not to do. We deserve a sentencing of guilty. But Jesus Christ walks into that courtroom and he says, I will take your punishment. I will take your guilt upon myself so that if you will put your faith and trust in me, you can be forgiven. I believe that there's two kinds of people here today. The first group, you betrayed someone else. 
and you know it. You hurt another person very badly. And you have carried that guilt and that shame with you maybe for years. You need to turn to Jesus Christ. You need to turn to Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness that only he can offer. He's the only one who can take your guilt and your shame. And there are others of us here. You were betrayed by another person. And it hurt. And in some ways, you don't feel like you've ever become yourself again. You've never gotten back on track. But today, by the power of Jesus Christ, you can overcome betrayal. You can say, God, I know that, God, you will work all things for the good of those who love you. I trust that you're going to do that. And I pray right now, Jesus Christ, that you will take that bitter root out of my heart so that I can walk in the freedom that you offer. I want to pray for us across all of our campuses and those of you online and just ask that God would do that in your life. God, we pray right now for anyone here who has betrayed and hurt someone that they were close to, someone who loved them, God, as they turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, I pray that they would experience forgiveness and mercy. The Bible says that we can be new creations in Christ. I pray that you would give them a fresh start and that they can walk before you blameless because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. God, I pray for those of us who have been hurt, betrayed. Would you heal our heart? Would you take away the bitter root? God, I pray against bitterness. I pray against anger. I pray against rage. I pray for the power to get rid of it. And I pray for the peace that is not even from this world, it's only from you. The peace of knowing that no matter what other people intended for evil, that you can intend it for good. God, I thank you for that promise today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.